Episode. I sit down with friend Ryan McPherson of Good Blood Media. We recorded in his RV in Coloma, California. Okay, welcome to the Home Small Home Podcast. I'm here with Ryan McPherson. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. My name is Ryan McPherson. I have a company called Good Blood Media, and I live in a 38-foot Georgetown XL with my beautiful wife, Katie. So how long have you and Katie lived in this RV together? Me and Katie have been living in this RV for, this is our third year in April now. So on and off, we've been living in it three years. So I can't exactly say that's been... all the way full-time because a full full-timer lives in this 365 days a year we travel a lot so when we're not traveling in this rv and we're out working a lot of times we're spending time in this rv we live in it so we are full-timers but we just have kind of an interesting life to where we're not staying in one place so how did you and katie meet me and katie have a pretty interesting story how we met um we both come from different places. I'm from a little small town here in Rio Vista in California, um, down in the Delta, Flatlands, and uh, shoot, what's cool there? I want to say natural gas. It's a big producer for natural gas. So um, I immediately moved out and moved to this little town called Coloma, and I love it. Um, And I've probably been, I've been living in Coloma ever since, since I was about 19. Katie came from Montana, uh, Helena, Montana, and at 17 decided that she was going to leave Helena and she was going to go join uh, a traveling kayaking school. So she, 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 decided, she decided at 17 she was going to join a, a kayaking traveling school to where her high school would go to Mexico or Belize or Costa Rica or uh, India or Nepal. They'd go there for a semester and they'd go and learn. And, uh, you know, they'd do their books and their studying and everything, but they would always allocate time for kayaking. So she was just complete, you know, over the top for kayaking. Katie, after, you know, after she went through this school, this world-class academy, uh, one of the first steps you do is you come to California uh, because kayaking California is it's the mecca. It's where the most perfect rock is and the cleanest water and some of the most amazing kayaking, you know, extreme kayaking runs. So Coloma is basically the hub for that. And, you know, my a big part of my life has been kayaking as well. And in those, you know, we ended up basically meeting on the river so we met on an overnight trip um i want to say no no we ended up meeting here in coloma on the north fork of the american katie was shooting photos for one of the rafting companies and i was rafting that day Mm. and i you know was asking her hey this is your first day taking photos let me let me go ahead and uh, show you how to do this. You're going to do this with your camera and put it on manual mode. And then you're going to 
turn this on this and, and take pictures of the flowers and the people's faces and tell a, you know tell a complete story throughout your day even though you just have photos to do it and she's like oh that's so cool that's great and this was her first day taking photos on the river she's in her kayak and she gets down there and starts taking all these photos At the end of the day she looked at them and she realized that not one of the photos were usable because i had taken her automatic settings and put it in manual and as soon as she got to the first spot that wasn't the same light setting it was completely useless the rest of the day so oh. she wouldn't she didn't sell any photos <laughs> <laughs> oh did she forgive you for that she you know we we have definitely we've overcome a lot of things and that was kind of the she thought of it more as cute and more of like wow that's pretty much that's the epitome of of us is like one of us is i don't know how to put that but Katie did forgive me for it and you know looking back that was probably eight years ago we probably didn't realize that we would be doing that same thing for some time to come and and now it's just like wow where have we gone and where are we going to go now it's it's kind of unreal so it's the beginning of a beautiful connection and collaboration and love story and imperfect yeah and total imperfect perfect love story (laughs) (laughs) so you were teaching katie um all about camera and storytelling how can you tell me how you got to be experienced with storytelling and camera work and sure i guess uh you know i read one of those questions i i you know i would say that my i started thinking about cameras and camera work and video work i want to say probably when i was five or six years old or something and my dad always had a camera in his hand or a video camera or something documenting our lives which is pretty cool to look back and be like wow we have a lot of really cool footage and great photos and stuff and at one point i think maybe five or six years old i just said hey dad like let me do the camera and i started doing some family video stuff and um i think by about high school i already had the idea like let's let's start making some kind of little movies and it sounds stupid but back in high school the crocodile hunter steve Irwin, was really big then (laughs) and so we were you know kind of like we had the shirts and everything and it's like oh you know we had a camera and i took my dad's camera out and you know, we found ourselves, instead of going out drinking in the gas wells because there wasn't anything to do in Rio Vista, uh, we were out, like, making movies. And I was, I think I was in front of the camera more than behind it at that point. But it was kind of funny because I'd go out there and we were cow tipping. And, you know, we actually never pushed a cow over because they were awake and they ran away. But we did these whole mock-up scenes of us showing up and, you know, here's our plan. And I had the Australian voice and... You know, I remember doing Saturday Saturday Night Live skits at, you know, like when we would do quote-unquote sleepovers. It'd be at a, fr- a girlfriend's house, not, you know, a real girlfriend, just one of our friends there. We'd go over to, let's say, Amy's house, and five or six of us would show up, guys and girls, and it would it would be like, you know, the mom had all these costumes. I feel like she was from Burning Man, but she was, you know, straight as an arrow. But the mom would bring out these costumes, and all of a sudden we'd start, you know, putting these skits together. And 
I mean, honestly, that footage would be pretty classic to have right now, oh. like the stupid stuff we used to do. And <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can't, I can't really look back and not, I can't remember when I didn't have a camera or I didn't mm-hmm. do something. I mean, I had my little Canon one shot thing and, you know, I'd have to go and develop my own photos and stuff. I wasn't developing in, in a lab or something, but you know, I was, did journalism in high school and did the photos and stuff and kind of a little bit of everything, but it, you know, I was, I looked at like the, you know, I read about in high school, the, the Renaissance men and there was the guys like Michelangelo and, uh, you know, uh, who else? Aristotle and these guys, like they were really good at, at what they were born to do. And then they got really good at doing a lot of other things too. You know, they were good at sculpting and painting and, you know, they were a master at astronomy and they did quantum physics. And it's like way before people were doing that kind of thing. So I always thought when I was growing up, I'm like, I want to be a Renaissance man, but I don't think like painting's a thing anymore. I mean, it is, but like, is that really something that I can do? And I'm, I used to draw and sculpt and stuff and my drawing's horrible and my sculpting was horrible. I did like pottery and stuff. That mm-hmm. was fun. I actually could do throwing on a wheel and do cups and bowls and fun stuff. But it was kind of like, wow, okay, what is, if I was going to be a Renaissance man, what would that entail? So it went from, you know, in high school, from ranching um, to working at a golf course. I used to pick up those stupid balls and have people hit balls at me at the <laughs> driving range. It's kind of fun being in the cart. Um, you know, I did, I worked at a supermarket. Um, I'd go there before school doing produce and I do the, you know, do all the produce stuff and make salad, fruit salad and stuff and put it out before the store even opened up. I would do freight on Tuesdays and Thursdays at like three 30 in the morning before school finish at seven or something and have a little time off to go to the weight room to go lift weights for my football team, Mm -hmm. go to school all day, go to the football practice. As soon as the football practice was done, I'd go to the golf course and do all the golf course stuff and then come back and study. And somehow I passed and did all that stuff. But then, I mean, I worked at a couple, three different restaurants in high school. I was like already like, hey, what am I going to do? Because I can kind of do any of this stuff. And, you know, as soon as I got out of high school, it was like, well, I need to get out of this, the flatlands right now. I need to get out of natural gasville. And I mean, if I would have been into kiteboarding or something, Rio Vista would have been awesome, but I wasn't into it. We did like tubing and skiing and stuff, mm-hmm. keep the Delta Brown. But um, as soon as I moved out, you know, I came up to the foothills here came up, went to Sierra, uh, Sierra college and, um, in Rockland there and played for the football team for a year and a half and put on like 25 pounds and couldn't walk because my legs were so big, you know, it was a different lifestyle. But again, I went back and I worked at two different restaurants. I worked at UPS, um, as a freight guy and inside of UPS, I, I'd be loading boxes after football practice in Rockland for the for the college. I'd I'd go straight into this loading and it'd be 110 degrees in the back of these boxes and you're literally as fast as you can play this game of Tetris, you're putting these boxes away and trying to get them all to fit and 
then I turn into the scanner to where you put the little scanner on your arm and every package that comes through you have to memorize 50 different zip codes and you need to know that none of those if, if they're outside of those 50 zip codes you're gonna send them down this other chute and you can't scan it well I got good at scanning and me and the rest of the scanners at this one point set some regional record for le the least amount of missed scans so that was a big deal, and I'm like, okay, whatever, I can scan this stuff. But then they, they said there's this car wash position coming up, and it's like really cool and preferred. So then I started doing car wash for UPS, and it's like you got 14 cars to wash in five days in a 20-hour shift. Okay, yeah. not too hard. I had the yellow belt, which is the, the section in Rockland that was really tricky to deal with. You had to put the – you had to back the the trucks in because the – Drivers bring them in and they just put them wherever, and they're all mis, you know, mismatched. And they're supposed to go in a certain line because some of them you'd have to pull the mirror in and back up without the mirror and get this one in first, and then back this one in. So, you know, and then I had this uh, basically a position that was made for me where I was just a parker. Mm -hmm. They didn't. That doesn't exist at UPS. I just went around to all of the belts and made sure all of the trucks were parked properly. It's like truck Tetris. A truck Tetris. Um, I mean, I, you know, and then I was also like, uh, I wanted to get back too. So I kind of, I started doing um, volunteer work with kids with autism and Down syndrome and, you know, cognitive disabilities. And, you know, that kind of was like, wow, I mean, I'm working and I'm playing football, but this giving back thing is pretty cool. And I think that's kind of like where the roots started for you know, it's like, wow, what do I do now? You know, I know I kind of want to help out. I know I kind of want to do all of these different things and try to be this renaissance man that I thought I was trying to be. And now what's the next step? And here we go. I guess I'm going to go kayak for a while and and then led me into this kayaking world. And But essentially, from college, moving into the kayaking world, I ran into the right people in the right time. And those guys happened to be working on one of the coolest shows on deadliest catch or uh, one of the coolest shows on discovery channel, mm -hmm. uh, deadliest catch. And somehow I got on that crew and it's never kind of turned back from that point. Sorry. I totally went off point. Oh no, I, I love this history. Um, so you connected with Todd Stanley, right? Yes. Um, Todd Stanley is a local in Coloma. He's into the rafting scene. He's into the kayaking scene. We did that whole thing together. And, you know, he, there was one point I was doing rafting videos to where I'd take a little camera down and follow the, the raft companies and make a, a personalized video for these people on an analog system. And all of these VHS cassette tapes were set up and you'd have to hit record on nine of them. And You'd have to push play on your boom box and roll the music up with this bar and hit the play button for the titles. And we basically made um, videos on the fly that you, you would have to cut them and edit them in the camera, uh -huh. starting with the black screen and ending with the black screen. And you couldn't have any gaps in between. And it all had to make sense. And it all had to flow. And you only had one chance to do it because there's four or five guys waiting to edit their video behind you. Oh, my God. You'd finish your video and take these 10 VHS tapes out and run to the rafting company and turn into the salesman. And, hey, guys, I got a great rafting video for you. I got a 
huge opportunity for you today. I guarantee you, you might have 300 videos, your favorite movies back home. I guarantee you, you don't have one that is you going down the South Fork of the American with full production quality here, folks. We're talking titles. We're talking sound effects. We got music. And it just so happens I'm going to throw a little carnage reel at the end that not many people get, but we're going to give it to you today. So sit down, hang tight, and here comes your show, guys. Wow. Where did your sales techniques come from? All right. That was, I was not a salesman, never been a salesman. But when we had to, when you had to make a rafting video, it didn't mean you, you could go through the process by waking up at six o'clock in the morning, loading your kayak, filming all day, making this in-camera movie, going back, editing it, and then you show up to the rafting company and there's a good chance that they might be taken off in 10 minutes. We didn't have somebody that showed up and said, hey, our, the guy that did your video is still working on it, so please don't go and hang tight. Mm-hmm. You would show up and if you just went through the motions from 6 a.m. and now it's 3 or 4 p.m. and you even show this thing and nobody looks at it or nobody likes it and nobody buys it, you didn't make a dime. Mm. So you turned into your, how, how bad do you want to sell this thing? And it's like, you guys cannot leave me hanging here. Right. So out of necessity. It was, it was out of necessity that, that I turned into a, a salesman, I guess. Yeah. Well, it was authentic sales. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know, you, when there's nobody to do it for you, 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 you look, you know, if, if you have a problem or a troublemaking or, a, you know, troubleshooting, or maybe you have an issue with gear or camera work or, you know, audio or something, I used to look at it and be, you know, really kind of mad. Like, why isn't this equipment working? Or, you know, why isn't somebody there to sell these videos for me? And then I started looking, well, nobody's going to be there for me. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to do this yourself. And once you, you figure out the problems and you know how to fix them. It's just like, it's kind of fun when there is an issue. It's like, Oh, I need, I know, I know I need to do this, this, and this, you know, and it, it, you just gotta honestly just, I guess it was a lot of, you know, the salesman is why not? I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah, you worked hard on it. So gotta stand behind it. Right. And that's a quality product. Hey, if I, I mean, I could stand behind our product. And then there was about two seasons in on our rafting videos to where it went from making videos about our clients that were showing up that day to we would make, try to make the video about ourselves for most of it and see how little of rafting we could include and still sell the thing. We would start our mornings, you know, rigging up elaborate drawn out scenes that again are edited in camera Mm -hmm. and you know one of them was uh the video the video kayaker for the day cut off this redneck guy that's driving a truck and it cuts to his face and he's mad and he goes i hate those video kayakers and it turns into this scene of the the video kayaker taking off in his gear and getting chased by this guy in this redneck truck and you know, then it's like getting closer and more dramatic. And then it's like, oh, well, there's a bridge coming. And, you know, we'd pull out the full stops. There'd be three camera guys out. And all of a sudden, hey, pull out that trampoline. Okay, throw it down. Nobody's in the road. And we'd, I've, 
you know, the final scene is me running across this bridge and you cut from the guy inside. He's about to like, he's got his hand out the window trying to kind of grab me and I hit the trampoline and roost off of the, you know, go flying off of the bridge and then fly at the bottom, come out and say, hey, welcome to South Bay Rafting. You guys ready to go? (laughs) (laughs) Do you still have those? Um, you know, yeah, Mikey has all oh, of those, gosh. and he kind of holds, he probably, he probably would still just kind of, no. Oh, you're right. I wish. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> and the funniest part of it is that I missed the trampoline. Ah. I missed the ba- the bouncy part of the trampoline, which means I hit the corner of the frame, which threw me into a short jump, so I had to put my hands down and pushed off and went into this spiraling flip series of uh oh what's gonna happen and then face first into the water and hit my face so hard that it half of my face looked like Shrek and I came out and delivered the line and (laughs) anything for the scene (laughs) okay how did you segue from those fun videos to Deadliest Catch and other shows right well I got really fortunate that this super small town of Coloma has a ton of, um, there's just a ton of motivated, uh, go-getting individuals that are always into something. And I ran into the right guy at the right time. And guy Todd Stanley, uh, one of the locals, he's been living here for years. I actually met him when I was working at UPS. I came down my first time to Coloma and met him at, at a video office. Oh. Hey, my first time to Coloma, I met Todd. So Were you delivering a package to the No, I wasn't I didn't drive. I never drove. Uh-huh. No, it was after the shift. I like oh, came okay. down with Robbie and uh-huh. But um I met Todd and you know, Todd and his brother Doug were both working on the the cool show Deadliest Catch for Discovery Channel. I didn't even know what Deadliest Catch was. I know six six different uh six different people that work in television and film, you know, Discovery Channel, History Channel, AMC, A&E, uh, Animal Planet, any of those big shows, Ice Road Truckers and Deadliest Catch and uh, Bomb Patrol, you know, we've gone to war. It's like this little community just for cinematographers alone is kind of super unique considering there's only maybe 1,200 people during the wintertime, mm-hmm. something like that. But, you know, I was fortunate to come to Coloma and I was glad that I wasn't going to see, you know, the the kayaking and rafting industry is huge here. And, you know, I loved it, but I couldn't see myself for the next 20 years being that kind of old man river. And it's like, okay, what can I do and still live in this community? And then wow, there you go. A door opened up and I met Todd. You know, as soon as I came to Coloma, I met Todd. And then it was a few years later, I'd been doing this video boating thing to where you go down with your kayak and your camera and you try to sell a video. And Todd, you know, kind of saw that I was really into video. And, you know, we'd hung out a couple of times and he said, hey, you should take this really cool camera out to this, you know, difficult river. And, you know, take my nice camera out and go get some cool footage from it. And then I would go out and shoot and come back and he would just like be shaking his head and just like, wow, man, you got a long ways to go. And like, 
this looks horrible and this is really dark and why why are you shooting it one ten thousandth of a shutter frame like it should be a sixtieth and I'm just like okay back to the drawing board you know you do that enough times and then you get the feedback and all of a sudden I remember asking Todd one time hey um, what could I do to get on the deadliest catch and he's like wow Ryan he's like Ryan there are a lot of people in front of you right now I'm just going to going to be honest there's a lot of people that have been doing the camera thing as camera operators that want to get on this show so good luck buddy well todd's brother doug was essentially the you know he's the director of photography so he's in charge of putting his camera crew together and you know i was in brazil and i got an email hey do you want to come and work on deadliest catch and i'm I couldn't believe it. And I said, okay, I'm definitely, yes, I'm leaving Brazil right now. Um, I was kayaking in the middle of an expedition and checked in at an internet cafe. And it's like, wow, I guess Big Brother is going to help me out here. And and sure, I got this utility job, which is essentially just like an electrician or a gaffer that builds different rigs and sets the cameras up to where they can be set up on a boat you know, or a truck or whatever it is for a long period of time for, you know, six weeks of shooting. So I got to rig all the cameras and I got to put all the audio equipment together and meet all these cool captains. And it's funny looking back, I actually have video footage of it that I ingested the other day. And I remember turning the camera, doing the selfie thing before selfie was a thing. And I'm walking and I'm like, man, this is so cool, and it's kind of pretty surreal being part of this this whole team, and, you know, these guys are super talented cameramen that are, you know, put in really difficult situations, and they have to go out in this Bering Sea and out, out in these waves in the ocean, and I'm like, someday that's going to be, it's going to be my chance, and it's so funny if I would have even known what was coming and the the five seasons to come, and you know, that I'd be out on the Bering Sea on those boats doing what I was saying that I was maybe going to be doing someday. And it was a reality. And then it was like, oh, wow, you know, blink three, four years later, I guess you're a cameraman now. Mm. You know, I guess you, this is what you do. So that was kind of cool. It was a super lucky in, um, you know, I had the position as a utility, just setting up gear. And one of the cameramen that first year couldn't make it to one of the boats. He was on another boat, and there was a storm that was in the middle of this other boat that he needed to get to. And they said, hey, Ryan, are you ready to go out and shoot on the boat? We know that you do have some background in shooting. And I said, uh, the bags are packed. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so I went out, and, you know, I was horrible, you know, and I probably didn't look at it as a big enough opportunity i could have done a lot better could have been more prepared but you know i got a big awakening finishing that and having you know the showrunner the main guy of the show say you got a lot of work to do here bud mm. you know and maybe you could even have a little work on your attitude too and it was all it took was that one spank to where it was like wow i i'm working on one of the coolest shows on Discovery Channel. It's time to get your stuff together and and what can you really do with this job? And then that light switch turned on and it was like, okay, I, I know what I can do. I, I know I have a skill here. I can 
maximize. I can I can make a career out of this. Mm-hmm. So you, what were the challenges? I mean, it seems like there would be many, um, but what did you need to overcome to change your attitude? You know, I was 24 when I got that opportunity, so I think you're just still kind of cocky and young and I can do anything and you know you're you, you're not you don't have the you got the they call it, it's called the difference between boy strength and and man strength and you know you lose your boy strength at about 24 25 but same thing with that kind of your your kid brain and your your man brain kind of clicks on eventually and sometimes it's later for other people or you know maybe you have a kid at 21 and you got to turn that man brain on earlier but a lot of it was just that um, you know, essentially, I didn't lose everything, but they basically didn't want me back. Mm. And at that point, I was like, wow, I thought that I didn't have anything to prove. Now I got something to prove. You know, I'm like, hey, I made it. I'm on this show. And it was just this kind of a, you know, great opportunity that I didn't really see to its full potential. And then it was like, wow you just, you know, let something slip through your hands, like, that's never going to happen again. To to hit, you know, in a sense, to hit the bottom, to be like, wow, you're a Discovery Channel camera operator, and then for about a year being like, you don't have any work. Mm. And thinking, wow, did I just blow my one chance? And it's like, no, I didn't. I just, that was my wake-up call. And now it's go time. And it was interesting, because I, I was trying to be a fisherman at that point. I'd talked to a couple of the, you know, I ran into a couple of the right guys on the fishing boats. And somebody said, you should come up to Alaska and go salmon fishing. Uh, Me? And he's like, yeah, you'd be good for it, man. You're solid. Uh, He's like barbecues and 75 degree weather and we're drinking beers in the afternoon. I'm like, wow, that sounds like it. Yeah. How much you make? 10 grand for six weeks? Oh, sure. It was not that reality it was that's the hardest job i've ever done in my life was gill netting for salmon commercial fishing for salmon in bristol bay six weeks you know the first week is kind of get greasing the gears the the last week is kind of winding down and you have four weeks to where you're probably sleeping about an hour and a half a day and working the rest of it you have like 11 hour shift on Fishing, 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 not eating the whole time, not stopping for water. And then you'd stop down and offload your fish for an hour and try to sleep for another hour. And then they'd start you off in the next, you know, the next session for fishing would be the next day. But yeah, I, there was at one point my, um, <clears throat> one of the producers from Deadliest Catch, he said, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a fisherman or a camera guy? Because... You know, I came back with the next year like, hey, uh, just want to let you know I'm working on my camera skills and I've got my attitude in line and I really see the opportunity here. And I'll be honest, um, if it doesn't work out, I might try this fishing thing. And I talked to one of the captains for Deadliest Catch, you know, and maybe Keith might hire me for a season for doing crabbing. And this guy looked at me and he's like, what do you want to do? And then that's when I kind of had my my mantra or my, my, you know, the life motto come to fruition. And it's just like, Oh, I see it now. All I have to do is wake up tomorrow and say, I'm, I'm going to do that. That's, this is my, 
career now or not I'm, I might try that or I'm going to do that next week or I'm, I'm going to start studying it's like no I'm now a cameraman and once you decide that you're a cameraman or you're a plumber or you're going to be a park ranger or whatever you're going to be when you decide that you know you wake up in the morning and that's what you're going to be life is so much easier mm-hmm. and you're going to start getting what you want you know it's just it's so simple you know it's it's easy to say that now but that's all it takes and that's anybody that tries to get into cinematography or tv industry it's like that's what i tell them hey when you wake up in the morning and you give everything up to go pursue that thing your new career that you've decided that's who you are now you're gonna get it period or you're gonna die trying you know that's an interesting journey from starting out as a renaissance man trying everything and then just really funneling down through all those experiences that you learned from all the persistence and perseverance through thick and thin just proving to yourself you can do all these strenuous jobs totally you know and the other thing is like the way i kind of look at a, a hard or difficult job is you know there's a couple of points in my life i can remember the salmon fishing probably the you know the mid middle of the summer when when it was the hardest fishing and then I remember a kayaking trip in Brazil that we ended up in the jungle to where we, I think, we kind of thought maybe we weren't going to get out mm-hmm. at some point. And there, we didn't have a map and we didn't have the SOS button. And at those, you know, those two points in my life, I'm like, I think if, if I can survive those two things, like there's nothing harder in my life that's going to come up physically, mentally, emotionally that, that I won't be able to hang with, like... I guarantee you it's not going to be as hard as fishing and it's not going to be as hard as that one river mm-hmm. that we got stuck in in Brazil. Hmm. So I think when you can kind of compare and contrast, you're just like, wow, life is a breeze if I'm not commercial fishing for salmon or if I'm not stuck in the jungle with a machete hacking my way inch by inch, dragging my kayak behind me. So it's kind of a fun, you know, I guess when you have those struggles and you, you just, you yeah, when you've been beat down that hard, it's just like, well, life is really not that hard. I made it through that. I can make it through anything. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Glad you made it. <laughs> you have your good blood media. Can you tell me about um, that transition? Sure. Um, the transition from, you know, the career in TV, the TV world and Discovery and History Channel and Nat Geo and blah 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 it it kind of it it happened or started happening i want to say about six or seven years ago when i was on a shoot with a good friend and the only reason we were both on that that shoot together is because we were friends and it was like man if you're not if you weren't here i would not be here because this is just uh, this is a a shit show and I, we, you know, the producers are crazy and the hours are insane and I feel like they're trying to kill us with these scenes that they're, you know, they want us to drive as close as we can to the cliffs. And we looked at each other and we're like, we need to start a company someday that, that is just, it's basically those bros, those friends and the, you know, the girls too, but the, you know, those those people that you're going to be able to go and work a 20 hour shift with and live in the trenches and almost die that day together. And at the end of the day, you still want to go and drink a beer together. 
and you care about each other and you know you see the guy starting to sweat and it's like man have you drank any water you know it's like you genuinely care about the people you work with and um i think that's kind of what really propelled us to to try to start our own thing not try to you know it's it's made us say hey we're we're not going to do the reality thing the reality tv thing anymore um you know and, and katie jumped on board you know we me and this friend talked about this seven years ago and then i in meeting my wife and finding out that she's so like-minded and you know even went down that same route of reality television and hustling and 20 hour days and 20 hour days for two months straight is hard to do for anybody but that's like the payoff we go and you do this job for two months straight and then if you want you can take two months off but most people don't want to don't want to they just want their nine to five and they want the weekend off but you got to work a little harder if you want to take more time off but you know with katie being kind of extremely like-minded and wanting to shift out of the reality television world and into more of our own you know personal content and our passion projects we just decided hey let's let's stop talking about it let's stop taking these jobs that are you know they're easy because it's just like here here's your job you go away for two months you come back and you got a bunch of money because you didn't spend it any mm-hmm. now it's like well if i take off for another two months I'm not we're not going to have time to put that into the company. So now we're 2 months behind on our company. It's like, no, let's let's make an attempt here. Let's do this. Let's let's put our chips into this because we both believe in it. And what is Good Blood Media? It's it's the relief or the, you know, the alternative to when you're just tired of turning on your digital TV or your Instagram or your Facebook to get some, you know, horrible story about, you know, really some, you know, jerks. And we're trying to, a lot of times TV shows will try to take a jerk and make them look really cool. Or they'll take somebody that has nothing to, you know, no skills and no survival skills. And we try to fake it the whole time and like make them look really cool. Well, we're tired of, you know, making somebody that's really a fool look amazing and 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 have people look up to them when there's so many amazing people out there right now that are you know uber talented that aren't a star and that aren't they don't have the high and tight haircut and the jersey shore tan um and we're gonna go follow those stories and we're gonna tell those authentic stories that are out there and really connect with those people um you know and in the long run a big reason I wanted to start the company or to at least tell our stories is is to to be able to take this storytelling skill that we have and the experience and maybe do something different with it to maybe change somebody's life somehow and it maybe sound it sounds completely unattainable but you know I always like I struggled with the the career of uh, of cameraman because for 10 years, I was just making these TV shows that if nobody watched, it didn't mean anything. You know, it's not like somebody's life is going to be changed because they watched some crab fishermen out there throwing some crabs into a tank and some waves splashing them. Um, not that I wasn't proud of that that life or, you know, that, that, that time of my life and those adventures and stuff. They're awesome and great milestones, but it's like, what are you really 
what can I do with my renaissance man skills now that really do anything for anybody besides my, you know, stroking my travel bug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's finally like it's this huge revelation. Holy cow. We're going to take these, the great storytelling skills we've developed over 15 years and this great, amazing cinematography um, skill and put it into good use. We can go and find stories that will change somebody. And if it changes one person's life, that's way better than having three million people watch it and go, God, I'm going to go buy a, a, another Coors Light beer because I just watched the commercial. It just doesn't, it, there's no payoff you know, on that level. And it's like, man, we we just decided, hey, we're going to put one foot in front of the next. We are going to make this happen. We're going to start producing content, whether one person sees it or a million sees it, or, you know, maybe we're going to, we're going to produce this content and these stories, regardless of whether somebody's going to pay us a hundred dollars or a million dollars at this point, or if they don't have any money, you know, like the Daryl story, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we told the story about one of our favorite local, uh, family members. I'm going to call him. He's not even a friend. He's just a family member because, you know, it's a friend of a friend and, uh, it's actually a, a a dad of one of our best friends in town. And, you know, we made a video for him, uh, about him being a rock Mason and him going and finding these really cool rocks that look like food. And he goes and puts them in these really cool pictures and lights them. And he puts them into these scenes and then takes pictures of them. And he takes something from nothing and turns it into something amazing. And that's kind of his motto. And, you know, we did this short film on Daryl and, he was blown away. He felt so proud. And probably the biggest payoff was that his son, Jared, called us and said, hey, you guys put me in tears. And you basically, he's like, after 20 years of knowing my dad or giving my dad shit for for his floppy haircut and not putting his dentures in, he's like, you made me see my dad for who he is. And that's that's worth its weight in gold, you know, and knowing that Jared was able to see his dad in a different light after, you know, growing up with him because of this was pretty cool. So that's, (laughs) I think I'd be crying today. Um, that's, that's what, that's what makes it worth it for us. So, and we'll probably keep going because of it. So those are the, Hey, it was. We just wanted to make a video for Daryl on who saw it. We didn't know, but we wanted people to see it. And hey, it just so happened that maybe the, one of the most important people in Daryl's life needed to see it. So definitely. <laughs> um. So yeah, Good Blood Media. We want to tell authentic stories, and we're going to tell amazing stories about people that are making a difference in our lives and stories that people need to hear, not just the, the trash and the, the, you know, they're called dopamine hits in the marketing world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah, people are cheap thrills or maybe hopefully going to die here pretty soon where people don't need the trash to keep them entertained. And maybe there's a lot of great stories that, you know, they can a connect with their character and maybe, 
be educated and hey that just so happens it looks pretty and it's a amazing story like i'm gonna watch this so that's where we're going with it you're doing an amazing job we're trying and you went to india and you just um screamed screened an amazing film as well yep uh we just got back from india and worked on a great project with a group of doctors that opened up a hospital for the dalai lama so I guess you know on whatever level it is we're we're doing something we're making mo- we're we're making films and we're making putting content out there and and I think that's the scope is that we can go and have lunch with the Dalai Lama and and you know have breakfast have breakfast with our local rock mason in the morning and that's kind of the we're kind of uh we're almost chameleons like that <laughs> I love that you see the talent and, and beauty in, in individuals, no matter who they are and what they do, and you, you bring that out. That's a, a beautiful gift that you and Katie have. Thank you. So you and Katie living in an RV, I, um, you've had a lot of experiences together. Um, so we're sitting in your RV. Hopefully Katie can join us next time where I can interview her and her about her background and history. She's in Montana right now, right? With She's in Montana. Movie. Yeah, but I would love to um, have a follow-up episode with more of your stories together. Um, so in your travels, can you think of some tight spaces that have prepared you <laughs> for sharing life in an RV? Well, throughout, you know, probably starting from early on, you know, we had family problems like anybody else and a divorce so I ended up living with my mom and three four brothers and sisters at one point in a very small house maybe an 800 square foot house in the bay area um I lived with my grandma that was about 84 years old I think I was about 10 years old when I lived with my grandma who was 84 um we lived in a one bedroom apartment super small little bedroom and I kind of slept out in the living room um you know, as soon as I moved out of high school and college, I moved up into Kalomond, where 90% of the community sleeps in a tent. For the raft guide community. If you're a raft yeah. guide living in Coloma, you right. probably sleep in a tent. Right. So, um, you know, living in the rafting kayaking world, I lived in a tent for probably four or five years. And then I found a steel. I got my first little camper, mm-hmm. and I painted it ugly olive uh, winter spinach was the color and uh you know i loved it because i was like wow this is like a big tent and it's it can rain as much as it wants i actually have electricity i got an air conditioner now this is pretty cool um you know so obviously the rafting scene and the the little my first camper was kind of a big big step towards small living and then you know working around in the last 15 years working on different TV shows, you're, that's kind of one of my fortes is I'm a, a one-man band that knows audio and producing and f- shooting and I do all my notes and I do my scripts and I call LA and check in and basically that one person gets thrown into these uber small little micro areas that you find yourself in a little small living space with a lot of times four or five other people that you're just like, wow, I... I normally would be kind of comfortable in this small space, but now I am with four strangers and there's no way out of here. 
whether it's a, a crab fishing boat for the deadliest catch, you know, at one point on one of those boats, I slept underneath the wheelhouse in between kind of the crawl space. Um, and we had a little, um, oh, it was a, oh, carbon dioxide. We had a carbon dioxide um, alarm there underneath because we had to install it because the there was a leak from the engine. So you'd sleep in there long enough to then the alarm would go off. And it's like, oh, okay, I got to get out of there before the carbon dioxide gets to me. So that's when you'd wake up is on the, the alarm. Um, I, on another one of those boats, I slept in the four peak, basically in big storms. I remember falling off of my little kind of makeshift bed and I fell onto all of the cans of corn and beans and everything that was spilled all over the floor of the four peak, like the very front of the boat. So these big waves would be smashing in and you'd, you're boxed in and you know, the, the, um, you have a strategy on a boat. I make put myself in like an egg. Imagine yourself like being an egg in one of those in the boxes uh-huh. that they come in, and you lay your blankets out, and you get into this little kind of a like a hot dog, and you put your arms together, and you know it's you just make put yourself in a little tiny box or in the side of a the back wall of a corner or something to where when the waves come, you're not getting thrown off the bed. And yeah. um, another, you know, in between being on boats. A lot of these shows were in little hotel rooms. I can remember another time we went on a History Channel show on the Yukon River. Um, my cast members built a 40 by 60 foot floating uh, platform uh, out of wood and plywood and big, you know, big like trees underneath. And then we put um, canvas tents down. So a 40 by 60 floating piece of wood. And then we built a little. Um, a berth that a power boat or a you know a little boat with an engine could push this thing around down the Yukon, and we'd be able to land it and get off when we needed to. But we lived on on that raft, that makeshift raft, for five weeks. And then again, there's two cast members that I just met, and an audio person, an audio guy, and a uh, an assistant camera. So the three, me, the audio guy, and the assistant camera lived in a little small canvas tent that was on the side of this raft. And then the guys, the cast members, built a second story so they could put their canvas tent up on top. So we had like a living room down below. So we kind of had like maybe a 20 by 20 living area, 20, 20 by 20 foot living area. And we had like a couch and a... Uh, a stove and I mean it got down to negative eight so we were out there in the elements and floating down this river and you know and living on a raft that's floating down the Yukon which is like the size of you know the Sacramento River in California is gigantic it's like four of those wide it's gigantic but you know five weeks on a little raft a little wooden raft and a canvas tent with a bunch of strangers that was an interesting one um, you know, it, it just, there's so many little spots to where there's so many little opportunities and places I've been and traveled to where it's like, wow, uh, I guess I am okay living with, in a small space, you know, it just so happens like I've done it. Oh, I remember another one. This is probably one of the worst ones. Um, and I had fished salmon fishing commercially and then I ended up, 
about seven years later on a TV show that was filming commercial salmon fishing, gill netting in Bristol Bay. Exactly what I did, and I had seen a couple of the boats running around, but I'm now on a boat that is overloaded. There's five guys on it now, and it's not a crabbing boat. It's A crabbing boat's 120 feet long by 20 feet wide. I went from that to a 32-foot-long boat that is about 15 feet wide with five five guys. There was a place for them to sleep underneath the floor of the boat. They took out all the guts. like There wasn't really much living space because it was all storage for the fish. Mm-hmm. These guys slept underneath the floor of the galley, essentially their kitchen, and there was just enough, another, it was kind of a crawl space, and there was no foam, no barrier, nothing. They just kind of laid in there like a bunch of hot dogs. And I didn't have a place, a, a place to sleep down there, so I slept on the galley floor, which meant I was the last one to go to sleep every night, and I was the first one, as soon as somebody got up in the morning, I would wake up. But the probably the worst part is that anybody that had to go pee would have to go over the top of me and walk over me in the galley and then walk outside and then come back and some of them wash their hands and the sink was right above my head and so I'd wake up and I'd like oh it's raining what's going on and I wake up and it's like oh a man a grown man is straddled over the top of me washing his hands and in the middle of the night and I guess I'm waking up right now so yeah I I love small spaces (laughs) This is a mansion compared to a lot of other scenarios. Yeah, after living in all those little places, now I'm in a 38-foot RV by 8.5, and it feels gigantic. We have the two pop-outs, the sliders, in they're opposable sliders, so there's one giant room, so it's kind of... It is spacious. Pretty spacious. And then we got the slider in the back, and honestly, we've had friends from Brazil come over, um... And the first thing, I, they, I swear they've said this before, every one of them that comes in, they go, wow, this is bigger than a, than like an apartment in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like there's a lot more room in here. And the cool, I think probably the best part about it is like, I, I don't know, I could not imagine having a four bedroom house and three bathrooms and, you know, st- closet storage and attic space. And I'm like, I would have to go out and buy so much more crap just to fill in those gaps to make it look like I had something in my house. It's like, oh, and that, you know, obviously that comes into into play when you're living in these small areas. And it's like, all right, well, I got, you know, I want to say about 14 storage bins underneath the big doors that pop out and you can put all different kinds of stuff in them. I got little nooks and crannies and all the cabinets inside of it. You know, but the fact is we don't have a storage unit. We don't pay any fee outside of, you know, rent our, our spot where we rent here. There's no storage unit and if it doesn't fit in the R V it it's not coming with us. It, we don't own it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty simple. And that's it could it can gather really fast, but then you do it's a simple rule. You if you don't if you didn't, let's say you look underneath our RV and, and you you could go through every piece of equipment or sports toy or whatever it is, um, and there's a there's a reason that you know in the last year we've probably used it. If you haven't used it in a year, it's gone. It's either giveaway 
or it's sell it or sorry, throw it away. We're done. You never get attached. You no. I we've talked before that if we lost everything in here, I'd probably be more bummed about all of our footage that we lost, but I can go out and shoot more footage and I you know that one memory or that one cool video or that you know, great camera or a photo album. I'm like, man, there's we've had so many more memories than just those, you know, few memories that are captured and, you know, on a hard drive or something that we're just going to go and make another thousand memories tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I've never been too attached to this stuff. Um, it's interesting. I just talked to a friend that lives at a big house and he went out to his shed to grab something and his shed was spewing just stuff and he looked and he got in his car drove to home depot and he said i gotta look for a a shed now another shed a secondary shed he got about halfway and he turned around and went back home he's like i'm gonna get rid of everything in this shed Mm -hmm. if it doesn't fit in here it's it's out of here it's like wait why am i gonna go buy more stuff that's just gonna fill up in a shed and you know that's part of that the the small life or the small living space the small living is is all about simplifying and if you're not attached to that crap that you really don't use that much like get rid of it and get small and get smart i mean most people cannot say oh my god our house is a mess right now we got to clean this thing and in 30 minutes it's clean mm-hmm. and i'm talking everything's clean pretty much there's not a lot not a lot of extra room to be putting stuff to have cluttered up, even though we're pretty good at that. You, you got to be pretty focused on, you know, minimizing, organizing, and, and keeping simple, or you're just gonna, you're gonna probably have a hoarding situation. But mm-hmm. you just, I mean, we don't get attached to these the the objects and the you know. Sure, we could get a bigger TV or louder speakers, but it's like we got it in there. It's it works, and honestly, we spend you know, 30% of our day in our RV, or I probably spend more because it's more of an office, but we spend so much time outside and that kind of almost forces you. That doesn't force you. It just allows you to be more outside because odds are you might want to get out of this little, you know, 200 square foot area Uh at some point in the day. And it just so happens, you know, you can park it anywhere. We, We were bored where we were for a little bit. We're like, God, we got to do some work. Do you think we'll get Wi-Fi signal down in Yosemite Park? Uh, yep. All right, let's go. And we, you know, took this thing down to Yosemite for a week with our Brazilian friends, and we're able to work and we're able to get stuff done and go on amazing hikes and go climbing. And just so happened, we brought our home with us. That's perfect. So, is that your vision going forward with your company? Oh boy. Our company is, I think, going to really take off, and I think we're going to expand, and we're going to start seeing more and more people want to get involved in these projects and be involved with the team. Um, I hope that we don't get so big that we have to go and get some corporate office or something. I just don't see that being part of the, the, you know, the game plan. Really, it's more like, you know, this standage. I read some quote recently that was, you know, maybe by twenty twenty we're going to have like over half of Americans are going to be self-employed or getting supplemental money outside of their normal job. 
you know, hustling and, and being self-promoting or, you know, finding some kind of niche or craft or whatever they do on the side. But, you know, it just got me thinking that more and more people are going to be working remotely with all these technologies we have coming out and, you know, remote servers and we can send everything, videos and photos so fast. And here, take a look at this real quick and, you know, tell me what you think about it. Why, why do I have to fly to New York to, to show you that? And sure, we lose the personal aspect of being able to get face to face with people, but we get that, you know, we get that payoff when we go out and film and, and work with these people and tell their stories. It's like, I think that's part of another part of our company is, you know, we, we are boots on the ground kind of people. Um, a lot of, you know, companies or video production companies or TV, you know, people are running TV shows or developing TV shows or creating ideas they're in like LA sipping their mocha that they just got at Starbucks and they're talking about authentic people that, you know, per capita, I don't know if that's the most authentic place in the world is LA, but we're the kind of people that get out. We go kayaking, we go paragliding. Uh, I mean, shoot, we'll play tennis and golf and we'll go climbing and hiking and just about any sport and get out just to get out and half the time that's when you run into some great person or you meet somebody that you never thought you'd meet that I probably wouldn't have met in LA and all of a sudden it's like wow what's your story are you kidding me like has anybody ever told your story okay well let's tell your story that's incredible mm -hmm. um so yeah we're we're pretty I don't know I guess I'm getting off off course there no that's a good good vision you guys are going in the right direction for sure. so yeah our i mean i think i really still feel like the rv life is working for us um i'm still happier than ever i know katie katie mentioned something about maybe in five years like we might want to think about a bigger home because i think she sees kids coming and we've talked about having kids in this rv and we're sitting on the couch right now where i'm like okay if we took this little room and kind of put just a little wall right here and had um, kitchen over here and office over here and this is the, the little double bedroom for the kids or cut it in half and it's like that's your that's your bedroom there and here's the second kid's bedroom here. It's like, honestly, I'm not scared. You know, we could have kids in here. We could have, I'd have two kids here and. We've run into some great couples along the way and, you know, the little parks and stuff you stay at. And it's like, wow, you guys, oh, my God, you're doing the same thing we're doing, but you have two kids. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Uh, you know, the only difference is, is they had an outdoor bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was funny. She says, oh, you guys don't have a bar yet? Do you have kids? And it's like, no. She's like, oh, you'll have one. <laughs> that was funny that was good well so that's her one of her strategies do you guys have any um other strategies i know minimalism though you don't call it that but not getting attached do you have any other advice for people who wish they could do the similar lifestyle um you know i guess any advice it's probably pretty simple it's just that same thing of you know, when you, if you decide that your new life is going to be a cameraman or a rock mason or a plumber or, you know, a monk that serves the Dalai Lama, it just, you're just going to decide one day that that's what I'm going to do. And 
when you weigh the odds and you go, can we simplify? Can we make it happen? Can we do it out of an RV or a camper or a you know one of the little tiny homes on wheels? Yes, you can. I mean, so many people are doing it right now, and I feel like I'm living a super successful life, and it's almost a almost a novelty for most people. Like it's when you know when I first thought, okay, we're gonna get an RV. Most people are gonna look at us and think, holy cow. It's like Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's showing up with the Winnebago. Like, I don't... You guys are getting an RV? And it's like, no, no, it's a 2006. Like, it looks kind of nice outside. It's decent. But inside, it looks like a home. Mm -hmm. And it's nice. And, I mean, what else do we need? You know, you can only be in one room at a time in your house. And how many rooms do you need to go... You know, I have my hundred foot walkway here that I can pace all I need when I'm on my phone calls or, you know, I'm thinking about my projects. It's, and then, Hey, Oh, well, go outside. You got a great, there's a big world out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, you just got to decide that you, you can make it happen. You just got to get rid of all the, you got to get rid of the attachments. You're right. Um, a lot of that stuff holding you back it's like why? Why why do you need those big big things that clutter up your life and own you in the long run? Simplify and keep it small and your life's actually a lot bigger. Mhm. Mhm. do you say to to people that that have a challenge getting rid of things and say, "Well, I need this just in case I need it." Oh god, hoarders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's just so funny because I'm just so nonchalant with it can, it's just, I don't think I'd be anybody in this world. I, I wouldn't be half the person I am, not because of all of my cool things that I have or the sports that I do, but because I've been so fortunate to, you know, I've decided to just pick up and go and pick up and move to Costa Rica for six or seven months at a time, pick up and move to Brazil and live there for four months at a time. And I, I wouldn't give any of that back because, you know, if I would have had a bunch of these toys or dirt bikes or something, I would have never met those people and never really been able to reflect on, you know, Hey, there's a, it's a, it's a big world out there. That's a lot, you know, right outside your comfort zone, it's it's uncomfortable for a little bit but honestly like there is so much out there besides your your little region your little country your little area that i'm losing track here but um you know i wouldn't if i had a bunch of clutter and i had a bunch of materialistic objects and all these cool toys and stuff i would have never probably gone the places i did in the world and met those people that really changed my life you know and it it didn't come from sharing a dirt bike ride or uh you know jumping off of a cliff with some expensive gear or getting in a plane and flying across the the ocean or getting in a you know multi-million dollar crab boat and playing around in the ocean it was more you know to to meet somebody that is just authentic and real you that you literally meet and they look at you and say come on in my house uh, have some tea with me. Um, hey, I saw you guys kayaking out there. That's kind of my our backyard. Like, what are you doing? And 
why don't you come spend the night with us? Like, stay at our house and, hey, let us prepare you some bread. And we caught these fish from our local river, the, the one you guys were kayaking in. And, you know, to never, if I if I were to, if I were to have given up all of that travel and all those experience and meeting those people, it's just like I would be sitting here with a bunch of fun toys and really probably wouldn't appreciate them the same way. Mm-hmm. So I see, you know, for people that don't think they can get rid of something, it's like, what are you, what are you really giving up? If you give up something, you, you might be able to get, you get something maybe bigger in return. Maybe, I don't know how to put that, I guess. Um, I mean, it's it's a simple concept. If you haven't used it in a year, just get rid of it. <laughs> I like it. Where can people learn more about you and Katie and Good Blood Media? Um, shoot. Well, you can. anybody can check us out on our website. It's goodbloodmedia.com. Um, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest. Uh, we have a Shopify uh, Shopify store online. Um, basically, Good Blood Media. You know, we're working on our SEO and working on getting the name out there, and it's slowly kind of a little easier to find. So, if you're on any social media outlet or use the internet, um, you could probably just check us out, Good Blood Media. Um, and if you're not on any of that, then come and hang out in Coloma and we'll tell you all about it. It's going a rafting trip or something. <laughs> Many thanks to Ryan McPherson for being on my podcast in this episode. To Brianna of Socialista Podcast for her editing skills, and to Sonia Barcelona, who created my Silver Trailer intro song. As always, a big thank you to you for taking time to listen to Home Small Home. <laughs>